As we come to the Word of God this morning, we are returning to our study of Revelation. Revelation chapter 18 is where we find ourselves. We've been here for several weeks now. And it is fitting, really, for us to be here again on this Lord's Day as it is our Communion Sunday. And I say that because all who believe in Jesus Christ, communion is a time of remembrance, a time whereby we think about Jesus Christ and about all that Christ has done on behalf of all who will ever believe. But it also is a time of great rejoicing, rejoicing for us in our Savior. And we rejoice because of all that took place on the cross. We sang about it this morning and the joy that we have because of the cross. And and one of the characteristics that was displayed through the cross that I don't oftentimes believe we think about is the vengeance of God. The vengeance of God was displayed at the cross. It was displayed there by the way Christ took away the penalty. Christ removed the guilt of sin of all who would ever believe upon Him. And so at the cross we see vengeance. And so when we come to communion and the communion event, we remember the sacrifice of Christ. And we also remember the vengeance that God meted out upon sin. And we rejoice. We rejoice that sin has been judged for us. Sin has been judged on our behalf. And that is exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 18 in this final section. We see great rejoicing over God's vengeance upon evil. We have reached the final moment, if you will, of the tribulation period. Uh, when the when the clouds of heaven will be rolled back and the heaven is opened and Christ is revealed to all men once again, this time as the conquering king, it will be ushered in by rejoicing in the heavens. And it is rejoicing over the destruction of Antichrist and all who have followed after him. Let's make no mistake about it when we think about the future of this world and what we see here in Revelation chapter 18. This is rejoicing for the vengeance of God. This is rejoicing because God is a God who will exercise vengeance. Well, we, as we have been studying, we've kind of broken up this chapter under four headings. And, and this is the fourth in, in our headings of this entire chapter. And we've called it the symbolized devastation of Babylon. The symbolized devastation of Babylon. We, we can say symbolized because, uh, this is still future. This hasn't happened yet but also because of the picture given to us here in verses 21 through 24. It is is a picture of 
of a heavy stone being thrown into the sea and sinking all the way to the bottom and and the echoing words that follow in these verses are, it will not be found anymore. It will not be found any longer. Six times we hear those words. And they ought to leave an indelible mark upon our hearts and our minds concerning how God sees and deals with those who reject His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. They will spend an eternity under the judgment of God. We've already looked at the sentence or the verdict upon Babylon in verses 1 to 3. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Utter destruction has come upon them. It is spoken of in the glories of heaven as if it's already happened, even though it's still yet future in the mind of God. God has already had this completed. This is a done deal. God's word is sure. Then the summons from heaven calls for his people to come out. Those who are saved, those who are unsaved, those who have been tempted by the Antichrist and remain even attached to that system. A, A calling of spiritual separation and an evangelistic calling to come out and be saved. Even God up to the very last moments before Destruction comes as grace is shining upon those who do not know Him and those who are sinful who do know Him. And then, of course, last time we looked at the cries of the earth and what they're crying over and the merchants and the, the monarchs and the, and the uh, mariners, the, the conglomerate owners, all of those who, who own the goods and all those who are the movers of the goods and all those who are ruling today and the politicians are all mourning because... The city which they loved is now gone. Now we want to focus our attention on this final section before our time around the Lord's table. And while the earth cries at the falling of the city around them, while mankind is weeping for all that he himself has lost, the great central city of the world comes crumbling down. While all of that is happening, the heavens are rejoicing. The heavens are singing praises. It's not a sad day in heaven when this takes place. Let me just read for us verses 20 to 24. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. The strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. The sound of the harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. Because your merchants were the great men of the earth. Because all of the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints. And of all who have been slain on the earth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 5 that 
he who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. Doesn't it seem rather strange that all of heaven would be rejoicing as Babylon is destroyed? Doesn't it seem a bit contradictory of God, or at least of what we read in the Scriptures, to find joy in the destruction of the wicked? The answer to that question for us ought to be absolutely not. It is not odd, it is not ironic, it is not strange, and it is not contradictory to Scripture. It is not strange at all, in fact. Why? Because the rejoicing here that we find in Revelation chapter 18 is not because of the destruction itself. It is not finding joy in the fact of the destruction. The trouble or the destruction is the consequence of the righteousness of God. And so, therefore, the rejoicing that we see here is for the vindication of God's righteousness. There is rejoicing in the glories of heaven because God's righteousness is being vindicated. And every true believer ought to always rejoice when the righteousness of God is vindicated. When evil is silenced, folks, we ought to rejoice. In other words, there are times when God's vengeance is something to be cheered, something to be championed. Let me just show you a few passages about this from the Old Testament. Go back to Psalm 48 for a moment. And we're just going to walk through a couple of these. We're not going to spend time in these texts uh, going through every detail. We're just going to walk through a few of these. And I I just want you to hear the words. Psalm 48, of course, uh, a psalm about what's to come for Jerusalem for for Israel for the people of God in the as as Jews and they are called to praise God why because he's great Psalm 48 verse 1 great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God his holy mountain so so praise him throughout all of Jerusalem and I, and, I, and I just want you to hear the words of verse 11. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice. Why? Because of your judgments. Because you are judging God. And in that judgment, there is a vindication of your righteousness. There is a vindication of who you are. Verse 14. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us. Until death. Turn over to Psalm 96. Classic psalm of worship. Worshiping the Lord who is in fact the righteous judge of the earth. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. You can go through there. There's this continuous uh, uh, 
demand or or command to to praise God over and over and over. Down in verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord for He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in His faithfulness. Rejoicing over the righteous vindication uh, or the vindication of God's righteousness as who He is. Turn to Proverbs. Not a place normally you'd go and say, well, that doesn't seem like a place I'd go to find rejoicing over God's justice. Proverbs 11 Verse Beginning in verse 7, when a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish. The hope of a strong man perishes. The righteous is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. And when it goes well with the righteous, guess what? The city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is glad shouting. Verse 11, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Listen, when rulers are righteous, people are happy. When rulers are wicked, people are on misery. They're under misery. There's no happiness. And so when that's gone, there's there's rejoicing that happens, rejoicing that God has vindicated himself. Turn over to Isaiah just kind of walking through the Old Testament a little bit here. Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah begins to prophesy in verse 21 about the forgiveness that God brings. And in verse 23, he says, Shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. Why? For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and in Israel he shows forth his glory. You see, it's a shout for joy because of redemption. It's a shout for joy because God's promise is now fulfilled. It's a shout for joy because evil is now being removed. Our Redeemer has shown Himself to be faithful. Isaiah chapter 49, just one last one here. Isaiah 49 and verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on His afflicted. So you see, this is why there is rejoicing in the heavens. Because God's righteousness is being vindicated. Because God is bringing redemption. God's plan is being carried out. God has fulfilled His eternal purpose. God has carried out His word. His faithfulness to His own is fully on display and We, His people, rejoice. 
And so you think about it this morning. We think about this time of communion. We look at the cross and, and we are reminded of our sin. We're reminded of what it took for Christ to go to the cross. We're reminded of the wickedness of the enslavement of our souls when we were sinful and rejectors of God. We are reminded of the horrific reality and pain and death that Christ had to endure for all who might live in Him. And yet, in the cross, we are reminded of God's righteous vengeance. We are reminded that God poured out His vengeance upon His Son so that we might live. So when we rejoice in the cross, we are rejoicing in Christ and in the sacrifice, but we are rejoicing as well in the vengeance of God. Because wickedness was removed. And so here in Revelation chapter 18, we all can rejoice because wickedness will not go on forever. Here is a promise to all of us, to all believers from all time, from now till future and in the past, that God will vindicate His name. John here is seeing the answer to the prayer of those who are under the altar in chapter 6 and verse 10, praying, when will you vindicate our blood upon their heads? Those who had shed their blood throughout all the ages are now Paying the price for their wickedness, for their rejection against God. We can and we must rejoice in the righteousness of God on display. That's why verse 20 tells us it's a command. This is not a suggestion. The heavens will do exactly what God says they will do, and heaven is rejoicing. When this command comes out, rejoicing begins to flow. Notice, God has pronounced judgment, verse 20, for you, it says, in, against her, for you. These are the followers of Christ, the saints, the apostles, the prophets. This judgment is for you. You see, as we've been studying, even especially over the last several months, and, and we've seen this false religious system of Babylon and this city that, that runs everything, this, this wicked city is at the very heart of, of satanic opposition against God and His people. And therefore, destruction demands the outburst of joy. In fact, You'll notice, if you've read ahead at all, that rejoicing breaks out into a hallelujah chorus. It's a hallelujah chorus that doesn't stop until the heavens are opened and Christ comes in chapter 19 and verse 11. Notice in 19 verse 1, after these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah. This is a a direct response to the command in verse 20. Heaven is in fact rejoicing. Hallelujah in chapter 19 verse 1. Again, in verse 3, a second time, hallelujah as her smoke rises up forever and ever. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. 
as the singing is going out, as the rejoicing is happening, then the heavens are opened. And Christ appears. So this rejoicing is based upon the vengeance that God has meted out against Babylon, the wicked city of the Antichrist. And so we too ought to rejoice in the justice of heaven. God promised vindication. He promised vengeance. And now it is coming. The time, he says, of your enduring pain is over. So get happy. Get happy. Now, some of us might be here this morning. We might be saying, well, gosh, you know, I hear what you're saying. I understand that. But but how can God's people rejoice when these people are going to be damned to hell? I mean, how can we rejoice when when someone's going to spend an eternity away from God? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how. We can rejoice because Christ is exalted. You see, we can rejoice when Christ is exalted. Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Those in heaven will bow and worship. Those on earth will bow. Some will bow out of fear of judgment and they will bow because Philippians 2 said every knee will bow. And some who are on the earth will bow in worship. And even those under the earth, it says there, they will too bow. And every tongue, listen, every tongue, not one person, every atheist who has rejected God and refused the existence of God, every other rejecter of God, every false religion who doesn't believe in God, and every Christian will, notice Philippians chapter 2, will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Why? So that God the Father is glorified. So that God the Father is glorified. You see, get happy, it says, because the kingdom of Christ comes and the people damned to hell have made their choice against every gracious warning. They have made their choice. They have decided against God. This is the rejoicing that heaven waits for. Sin is finally finished. And if you're a Christian, then you understand why. Because Christ has put up with humiliation long enough. Because the people of Christ have put up with humiliation long enough. And righteousness and justice and truth have been abused long enough. And so all of heaven rejoices. I was studying this this week and thinking about that reality of the abuse of the truth, of the abuse of Jesus Christ, of the abuse of, of God. And as I was studying, I was thinking about this and then I went on one of the Christian websites that I sometimes go to to get updated on religious things and news. and I heard just this week that the Pope now agrees with the Big Bang Theory as how things were created. 
He now agrees with that. Let me tell you something, folks. That's an outright denial of what God said about how he created the heavens and the earth. It's an outright denial. And furthermore, it is an outright denial of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ said, and it says in the word of God of Jesus Christ, that all creation was made through him and by him and to him. All things were made. And we ought to rejoice when that kind of blasphemy is over forever. Amen? All of heaven will rejoice when truth is championed by the original author, God himself. And so notice, here in verse 21, Christ, I believe that's who's speaking in this passage and summoning these commands, Christ summons a strong angel to clearly show the utter devastation that is to come to this city. Verse 21, And a strong angel took up a strong stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. This is a wonderful picture. The usual household millstone in the ancient days they they used to use to grind the grapes and the wheat and these kinds of things was usually about four or five feet in diameter a large uh, stone wheel usually about four or five feet in diameter and about a foot thick it usually weighed about a thousand pounds or more And immediately we we are reminded as we read this, we're reminded of the words of Jesus Christ in in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 6 when Jesus Christ warns those who who are supposedly following Him. He's warning about the Pharisees and He warns about being a cause of someone else's sin. And He says, It's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown to the bottom of the sea than you be a cause of one of my little ones to stumble. And you being the source of of their uh, following into sinfulness, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck, be thrown into the sea, and drop immediately to the bottom of the ocean out of sight of everybody. So it's a vivid picture here in Revelation chapter 18 of an inescapable result. It it isn't like, well, maybe if something happens, this won't happen. No, this is an inescapable result in the same way that that kind of stone would immediately sink to the bottom of the ocean floor. So too, that is how quickly, that is how completely Babylon, the city of Antichrist, will be destroyed by God. In fact, the word violence here, if you see that towards the end of the verse, it it carries the idea of to rush, to rush, to, to move very quickly. It's the same word used in Mark chapter 5 when Jesus goes and, and he casts out demons and they, he throws them out into the pigs. Remember that? And all of the pigs rush down into the water and are drowned over the cliff. That's the same word used here. It's this 
It's this movement with quickness. It is immediate and complete. It's with a rush. So the city will be thrown down with violence, with with a rush, in, in complete, immediate, and completeness. This is what you see here. I love this. The, the opponent of God, the, the bitter, hostile through the centuries, through the ages, opponent of, of the people of God is dealt with in a rush by God. With violence. And notice the result. And it will not be found any longer. It will not be found any longer. This is the first of six times we hear that phrase. Uh, remember this principle in your own Bible study. When God repeats something, he, He's doing that for emphasis. So pay attention. Pay attention to it. It will not be found any longer. 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 You think God's trying to get something across to us? It'll be gone forever. You say, well, wait a minute. I've read in the Old Testament in Jeremiah about Babylon's destruction, and yet we still see Babylon today. I I read in Jeremiah that Babylon is destroyed. It seems very much like this. Well, go back there for a moment, Jeremiah chapter 51. I, I just want to take us through this so you're not confused. Jeremiah's prophecies prophesying concerning a sudden catastrophic destruction upon the city of Babylon. Jeremiah 51. Notice verse 1, thus says the Lord. Behold, that's pay attention. I'm going to arouse against Babylon and against the inhabitants of Leb Kamai. The spirit of a destroyer. And I shall dispatch foreigners to Babylon that they may winnow her. That is like wheat winnowed in the wind. And may devastate her land for on every side they will be opposed to her in the day of her calamity. And it goes on talking about how God is going to send these to come and be the destroyers. They will be destroyed. In, and, and, and he even says in verse 6, Flee from the midst of Babylon, and each of you save your life. Do not be destroyed in her punishment. Sounds very much like Revelation chapter 18. Verse 11, Sharpen the arrows, fill the quivers. The Lord has aroused the spirit of the kings of the Medes, because his purpose is against Babylon to destroy it. For it is the vengeance of the Lord, vengeance for His temple. As you read through Jeremiah 51, this goes on and on and on, over and over and over again. Then you come to verse 59. It says, The message which Jeremiah the prophet commanded, Sarahiah, the son of Neri, the grandson of Mahasai, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. Now, Sarahiah was the quartermaster. And so Jeremiah wrote a single scroll, 
all the calamity that would come upon Babylon, that is, all of these words which have been written concerning Babylon. And then Jeremiah said to Sarah, as soon as you come to Babylon, then see that you read all these words aloud. So Sarah is now dispatched by Jeremiah. Go and, and share these things with that city. And say, Thou, O Lord, hast promised concerning this place to cut it off so that there will be nothing dwelling in it, whether man or beast, but it will be a perpetual desolation. And it will come about as soon as you finish reading this scroll, you will tie a stone to it, throw it into the middle of the Euphrates, and say, Just so shall Babylon sink down and not rise again because of the calamity that I'm going to bring upon her. And they will become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. So you have now Jeremiah saying that Babylon is going to be destroyed. So yes, Jeremiah prophesies concerning Babylon. And that destruction takes place, however, under who? The Medes. The Medo-Persian Empire comes and destroys. But the final verses speak of a future destruction. This one that will have a perpetual desolation. The final destruction that will take place of Babylon. Not by man. Not by the Medo-Persian Empire or some other empire. But by God Himself. If you carefully look at history, ancient history, then you will see that no judgment of Revelation chapter 18 kind of character has ever taken place in the city of Babylon. It is still yet future. Babylon has been destroyed. It has been destroyed under several empires, and yet it still exists. Told you last week in in the 80s, Saddam Hussein was rebuilding the city of Babylon. But no judgment has ever been like Revelation chapter 18 and verses 22 through 23 of Revelation chapter 18 clearly show that this destruction demands total elimination of Babylon forever. The sound of the harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you or will not be heard in you any longer. When I was reading over this again and again this week, you know what came striking to me? The utter silence that will exist. The utter silence. Silence. Everything is quiet. Listen, I've lived in cities. I've lived very close to cities. I've lived in some of the largest cities in our own nation. And there is one thing characteristic to a city. Noise. A lot of noise. In fact, that's one of the striking things that really struck my wife and I when we first moved here was how when we went to bed at night at our house, even where we live, and some of you would say I live in a city, 
how quiet it is. I mean, it's quiet. City life is filled with noises. And some of them are deafening noises. Very loud. In fact, a few years back, my wife and I took a trip to New York City and stayed in a hotel in the middle of New York City on the 15th floor. And even on the 15th floor, we could hear sounds of the city all the time. None of this will be heard in Babylon any longer. It will go silent. Notice verse 22. The sounds of the harpists, musicians, and flute players, and trumpeters will not be heard in you anymore. You know what that is, folks? Music stops. Entertainment industry, silent. What Satan uses to to infiltrate the minds, the minds of all of us. Silent, suddenly. The music stops, notice. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. Factories are now stopped. Every home good that is desired by the masses will stop being produced in a moment's notice. The assembly lines will run silent. Music is quiet. Factories are stopped. Notice domestic life is ended and the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The word for mill, mulos or mulas. It's the hand mill that a woman would use to to crush or grind the grain. Uh, In Hispanic or Latin American cultures, it's the mortar and pestle. That too is silent. There's no grain to be crushed. There's no no nothing you can do. It's 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 gone. And verse 23, and the light of the lamp will not shine in you any longer. The power plants are quiet. Some of us can't sleep without white noise. There'll be no white noise. The hum of the electricity going through the lines will be gone. The noise is over. I was thinking of this. I say, well, how can I help us understand that? You know, I've, I've lived in places where the earth shakes And one thing that strikes you when it's over is the eerie silence. And then the car alarms start to go off. But for a moment, it's just quiet and dark. Because power has stopped running. Hurricanes, same thing. It goes black and it's dark. All you hear is the wind. Ice storm, we've seen that here, right? It was silent that next morning. Our memories of sudden silence. And here in a moment, the music is gone. The factories are stopped. The domestic life silenced. Power for light and energy no more. And then last, he says, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. You know what that is? That's that's just social life. That's social life. It's that's representing all the, the merriment, all the 
opportunities for merriment. Social life is gone forever. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride are are memories of happy occasions. But I think even more than that here, even more than just simply a memory of those occasions, the wicked debauchery that goes into all of those occasions during this time is now over. It's gone forever. The marrying and giving in marriage for any kind of reason and whoever wants to be married in whatever kind of relationship that is over. Same-sex marriages, unrighteous unions, all of that revelry is silenced. Now there's something to rejoice about. And the voice of heaven will only seem louder as the city goes silent. Some people say, well, will everybody know when Christ is coming? Yeah, they'll know. The entire world will know. It'll be silent. And Christ will break out upon the earth. You say, well, why why will they be destroyed? I mean, what's the ultimate reason? Well, I'll give you three reasons really quickly. In verse 20, end of verse 23 and 24, the first is pride. Pride, verse 23, he says, because your merchants were the great men of earth. That's pride. That's, that's just the essence of pride. The, the, the control of commerce, the, the control of trade enabled Babylon to dominate everything. And Babylon was proud of these men. These were the great men. These were the men to look up to. These were the heroes of the day. No, the heroes of the day were the ones you killed. The heroes of the day were the ones who were preaching the gospel to you. That was the heroes of the day, but that's not who you championed. You championed the merchants. They were the great men of the earth. That's just sheer, unadulterated pride. So God will destroy them because of their pride. Pride, of course, we know, is the root of any evil. doesn't matter what the sin is. doesn't matter how big or how small. The root of it is pride. So it isn't a surprise that we find it so acute here in Babylon. This is pride gone wild. And so they're being judged for pride, number two, judged because of their power, because all of the nations were deceived by your sorcery. This is very interesting. You might be interested to know that the word for sorcery here is pharmakia. Pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. The power base of Babylon will not simply be the control of the commercial and money markets. No, it will also be the control of any kind of drug that has hallucinogenic properties. Anything that will alter your mind. And so here, the combination of drug addiction, legal and illegal, the powers associated with the occult and the worship of demons will enable Babylon to have the power of great deception. Because all the nations were deceived by your pharmakia. Satan is the great deceiver, and he will use Babylon simply as a tool to deceive men. So she's judged. She's judged for her pride. She's judged for her power. 
And then lastly, and probably most importantly, she's judged for her persecutions. In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who have been slain on the earth. I don't think there could be a more sweeping indictment in all the Bible than this. You have shed the blood of all. Isn't it interesting? This is yet future and yet laid upon her is the guilt of all the shed blood of all the saints, all those who have been slain upon the earth. The blood of the martyrs, listen, has stained the earth so deeply that it is traceable all the way to the God-opposed Babylonian city. She is charged with killing the prophets of old. She is charged with killing the martyrs from every age at the hands of every kind of paganism. And she is charged with the killing of Christ. Believers of every age. We can read in our day and age about the martyrs of old. We can read about the martyrs in our world today. We all know the pain associated with the death of God's people because of proclaiming Jesus Christ. Even when Christ has taken the church away, when we are raptured and out of the way, Babylon will still be putting the saints to death. And so as we think about our time in communion this morning, listen, folks, this is where the world's going. We know the future. People say, nobody can see the future. Guess what? We can. We know the future. We know who has set the future out there. We know who has going, who controls all of that. And Christ came and the gospel has gone out. And the hope is that all men will be ready. There's only one way to be ready. Only one way. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. There is no other way. And so we rejoice in the cross because of the vengeance of God. Let me end our time this morning and then we'll go to the Lord's table with just reminding us of what we heard Russ read this morning. I just want to read two verses out of the section that Russ read. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Just so we have this on our mind. Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men... The Son of Man shall confess Him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, this morning our time has gone so quickly such a vivid picture of what is to come upon this earth through the tribulation and through the final destruction of the city of the Antichrist. Your vengeance will be poured out with merciless consequences. And Lord, we have already had a picture of that because we, by your grace, know the Savior, Jesus Christ. We know what he accomplished as he offered himself up as the the holy sacrifice, the unblemished sacrifice, the, the acceptable sacrifice, so that your righteousness could be and would be vindicated through him. And so we rejoice in the cross. We rejoice in the sacrifice of your dear sweet son on our behalf. 
We rejoice in your vengeance being meted out against wickedness, our wickedness. Lord, we're thankful that you would draw us to yourself, that you would not leave us as rejectors. But by your grace and for whatever reason in the divine counsels of your own will, you chose to save. We know we didn't deserve any of it. We know we deserve the very destruction and vengeance upon ourselves that we see even here in Revelation chapter 18. We know we deserve all of that. But because of your son, we've been enveloped in his righteousness by faith. And so this morning we celebrate that. We celebrate it through rejoicing. Rejoicing in our dear Savior, your dear Son. And the vengeance by which sin and evil has been and will be in the future finally eradicated. May your name be praised by your people. In Jesus' name, amen.